growth is a good thing. Growth is a good thing. Uh, we have three kiddos. Um, some of you in this room have kiddos. Some of you have many kiddos. And you recognize that growth is a good thing. I'm grateful that each of our kids are physically larger now than they were when they were born. That's a sign of health. We're grateful for that. We want them to grow in, in physical health. We also want them to grow mentally, in their mental health. We want them to grow in their spiritual health. We want them to grow in their emotional health. Sometimes the emotional health is the one that we pray hardest for. But we want our kids to, to grow in healthy ways, because growth is a good thing. We want them to grow in their abilities. And in the text that we're looking at, we're starting a new, a new sermon series today, just marching through the book of Colossians. And we had just finished Habakkuk previously. We had gone through 1 Corinthians. And so now we're marching through the book of Colossians. And if you're new with us, that's just the style of preaching, style of teaching that we do here. It's called expositional preaching. And what it is, is just going book by book, trying to let the text expose itself to us. So we're not trying to come to you with any new message from up here. We're trying to look at God's word and allow God's word to direct what it is that we believe. And so we're going to be going through the book of Colossians here. But as, as we see in these opening verses of the book of Colossians, is that Paul is grateful that the gospel has gone forward. The gospel has grown geographically. It's reached new cities. And Paul's grateful for that. And we rejoice in that. When we see people who receive the gospel, when they are converted and they begin to submit to the lordship of Christ in their lives, we rejoice in that. The gospel's going forward. But in addition to that, we also want to see growth. Paul wanted to see growth in these Colossian believers, in this Colossian church. He was grateful the gospel had reached them. He said, hey, now I want, I want the gospel not only to reach you, but I want the gospel to grow in you. I want you to grow in your relationship with the Lord and your understanding of who Christ is. Jesus' last command to his disciples before he ascended was to make disciples, was to baptize them, to, to teach them all that he had taught them. So the, the logic that we see there is that all those who do receive Christ, and this Colossian church had received Christ, all those who do receive Christ are then baptized and brought into a community where they can see God's teaching, and they can then begin to walk faithfully in light of what Jesus taught. So we're to baptize them, and we are, have an obligation to teach them. And Paul, right here, sees that these people have been brought in to the family of God, and now he wants them to grow in their understanding of who Christ is. And look, church, we, we want the gospel to grow geographically, but we also want it to grow inwardly. If you're the same today in your spiritual development, your spiritual growth that you were five years ago, then that's a sign of unhealth. And Paul, as he is talking to this Colossian church, he says, praise God that the gospel has reached you. But now I want you to grow in it. The gospel is worth rejoicing in, but it's also worth growing in. The gospel is worth rejoicing in and growing in. That's the main point of the text today. The gospel is worth rejoicing in and growing in. Now let me give you just some context as we are jumping into a new book. We want to have a, a good contextual idea about what is going on. So this, this letter was written by Paul. Now Timothy was with him, perhaps helping him write it, but it was Paul's message to this Colossian church. We see that at the, the very last verse of this book. Where Paul says that is his message. Now, it was written while Paul was a prisoner in Rome. 
And so it was written about the same time that the letter to the Ephesians was written. And so Paul is just in prison, and he's like, hey, you know what? The gospel's still going forward even though I'm in prison, and I still want to help disciple these people, so I'm going to continue to, to write letters to them and continue to aid in their growth. And so he's writing this letter to this church in Colossae. Now, Colossae was a city in Phrygia, which is modern-day Turkey. I think modern-day Turkey. That's essentially where Colossae was. Now, this is a, a city, a church that Paul had never visited. And so it was founded by a man named Epaphras. And this man, Epaphras, likely heard the gospel from Paul and then took the gospel to Colossae. And now he's reporting back to Paul what's going on in Colossae. Now, the reason that Paul is writing to them is, yes, he wants them to to grow in their understanding of Christ. But he also recognizes that there's some false teaching going on. And this false teaching, if you do a little research into it, it was known as the Colossian heresy. The Colossian heresy. Now, we'll unpack that more as we go through this book, but just as a, as a brief nutshell, essentially what that was, was a blending of several different religious practices and then just adding Christ in as kind of an extra thing. So saying, yeah, you can still embrace all these other religious practices, but now if you want to add Christ into that, great. Just continue to do all the other things that you were doing in these other religious systems as well. The, the fancy theological term for that is syncretism. We're going we're gonna to synchronize Christ with these other religious practices because Christ isn't quite sufficient, but if you add all these other religious practices in, then you really get a full picture of what God wants for you. And that teaching was going forward more and more in Colossae, and Paul wrote to them to combat that. And the theme for this book, so the phrase that, Lord willing, you'll be hearing for the next few months, the theme of the book of Colossians is the fullness and sufficiency of Christ. The fullness and sufficiency of Christ. Christ is the fullness that we, for us to see who God is, to understand what God wants for us, all we need to do is look at Christ. And he's also sufficient to make us right with God. We don't need these other religious practices. Christ, in and of himself, is sufficient to restore us back to the Father. So if you would, let's look at this text. We are looking at the first 14 verses of the book of Colossians. That's going to be in the New Testament. You'll see Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And if you look, if you're using one of the Blue Provided Bibles, that's going to be on page 983. Page 983, just look for the big one. And that is where we're going to be starting. So Colossians, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you. And peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it is also does among you 
since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these 14 verses that we're looking at. We pray that you would shape us into the image of your Son as we look at them and consider them. Help us to not only hear the gospel, but understand it and grow in it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so in your uh, bulletin, you'll see three points, and we think that the text has been broken up this way. So we see in those first two verses, we've kind of seen introduction, but Paul is really making a point for a gospel family. A gospel family. And then in verses 3 through 8, we see Paul express gospel gratitude, that the gospel has reached them. And then in uh, verses 9 through 14, we see that gospel growth that we were talking about where Paul not only is rejoicing that the gospel has reached them, but he now really wants them to grow up in the gospel. So let's look at those one at a time here. So in those first two verses, we see gospel family. Paul, as we said, is the author of this book. And he points that out right from the get-go. He says that he's an apostle. Now, just if you're joining us and you're not sure what an apostle means, an apostle means a sent one. Now, there's two ways that the word apostle is used in the New Testament. It's used, generally speaking, just as anyone who's sent out. So sometimes messengers were called apostles because they were sent out with a message. But then there's also a second category where this sent one is sent with special authority from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the second category that Paul is referring to. He's an apostle in that sense. Now, uh, there were three qualifications to be an apostle in that sense, the special authority from Christ. And so those three qualifications are this, just for some background information. One, you had to be an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ in his ministry. So we see this uh, where Paul, he says, I'm an apostle, so he was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. Well, on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, we see the resurrected, resurrected Christ appear to him. So checkbox, he, he, he checks that box. The second thing is that you have to be directly called by Christ to be an apostle, which on the road to Damascus, he was directly called by Christ. We also see in verse 1, Paul says that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he has been called by God. He's been called by Christ to do this. And then the third one is that there are demonstrated signs of him being an apostle. So there's these miraculous signs that accompany a true apostle. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, we see that the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. 
So Paul fits all three of these categories. So just right from the get-go, as we go through this book, we're recognizing that the author of this book, the one who is writing it, is Paul, who is an apostle. He was called by the Lord, he saw the resurrected Christ, and there were signs that he demonstrated to confirm that he was, in fact, given this ministry. Now, that's Paul. Now this church in Colossae. Let's get some information on them. He's writing to this church in Colossae. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now Paul typically, not always, but typically writes to churches. And so we see in the book of Romans that he's writing to the church in Rome. The Corinthians, in the first Corinthians, he's writing to the church in Corinth. See this with the Galatians, he's writing to the church there in Galatia, uh, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae. And the next two books after Colossians are, is him writing to the church in Thessalonica. So Paul's pattern is that he's writing to churches. Now he doesn't always do that. Occasionally he breaks that habit. But more often than not, he's writing to churches. And I would submit to you, friends, that there is no New Testament category for a Christian who remains disconnected from a local church. Paul is writing to these churches because he knows that the, the people over there who have received Christ, who have been converted, who have been baptized, are, are brought into a local church. And they are now walking together as a body. And they're doing life together. There's no New Testament category for someone who just consistently remains totally disconnected from a church. Now, some of you in here are still trying to figure out this is where you want to be a member, and, and I'm not referring to you. You're, you're here. I'm talking about somebody who just neglects the gathering altogether and says it's just me, Jesus, and my Bible. There's no New Testament category for that. And we see that just in the pattern where Paul consistently writes to churches. He writes to these Christians expecting that they are coming together. So, friends, to be, to be united to Christ is not only an invisible reality where you're spiritually united to him, but it's also a visible reality where you then come together on the first day of the week to gather with others who have been adopted into the body of Christ. It's an invisible reality. It's also a visible reality. And so to be reconciled to God is to be reconciled to his people. To be reconciled to God is to be reconciled to his people. You've been adopted into God's family. And now you bear his name. So all in here who have received Christ now bear the name of Christ. You are a Christian. You receive the same family name. And this, this is why Paul addresses these brothers, these brothers and sisters at Colossae. He calls them brothers in Christ. It doesn't mean that only the men are in Christ. It's just, just a common way of saying brothers. It just means all the people over there. And so he's saying that all those in Colossae who are in Christ, we're now family. He says, Timothy is our brother. So he says, hey, you Colossians over here and me, Timothy's our brother. He, he's helping write this. We're family. And then he uh, talks about how God is our father. So those who are united to Christ are united to him spiritually through faith but also physically through his body, the visible church. And when that happens, you're adopted into God's family. You receive his name. You receive countless brothers and sisters who love you. And you receive a good and faithful father. Church, we need to be careful 
not to let church life become an obligation, but rather, every week, let it be a joyful reunion of being around your brothers and sisters as we worship our true and greater brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's adopted us into his family so that we can have a relationship with the Father. Maybe you're in here, and the idea of a good and faithful father or brothers and sisters who love you and care for you, maybe one or both of those concepts, this seems totally foreign. Never experienced a good and faithful father. Never experienced brothers or sisters who you could call beloved. Friends, the Lord is patient and kind with you. Walk with those brothers and sisters. Submit your concerns and your worries to our faithful Father and watch him come alongside of you. Don't let the sins of others paint your understanding of God. We live in a fallen world. We're going to have fallen parents. We're going to have fallen siblings. Don't let the sins of others paint your understanding of the family that God is adopting you into. There's never been, listen to this, there there has never been a union quite like the union that Christians have with one another. It's never existed. And, And Charles Simeon, he elaborates on this far better than what I can, so I'll just let him speak here. He says, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are brought into a new family of which Christ is the master. Yea, we are incorporated into a new body of which Christ is the head and all the saints are members. And we are all penetrated with one spirit and have thus a bond of union that never did nor could exist before. And so let me just summarize that. He says that you, if you are a Christian, you have received a new family a new body, and a common spirit. We, if if you're a Christian here, you have the same spirit as the Christian down a few seats from you. There's been no union, no, no community in the history of the world that could say we are so united that we have the same spirit. God puts his spirit in all those whom he adopts into his family. And so we not only have a common belief, but we also are indwelt with the same spirit. We are a family. And Paul is writing to this Colossian church because they're family. He says, it, if you look at those first two verses there, he calls Timothy our brother. He calls them faithful brothers in Christ. And then he refers to God as father. So there's a lot of familial language right there in those first two verses. And that is what's driving Paul to write this to them. These Colossians are part of the family. And Paul is grateful for this. And we see that as we continue to move through this text. So look at verses, starting in verse 3. We see the, our second point, gospel gratitude. I was talking with, with Tyler Law just a little bit before um, the service began. And he said, it's really interesting that we <laughs> actually get to have a peek into the Apostle Paul's prayer life. Like We get to get a peek into his prayer journal, so to speak. He's being so blatant about how he's been praying for them. And so we see here that after greeting them as family, Paul expresses his gratitude for them. Now, again, he's likely never visited them, but he has heard of them. And he's heard of them from Epaphras. See that verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So Paul's grateful that the gospel has taken root in their lives. It's a wonderful thing. Paul wants them to know we are so grateful for that. We pray for you often, and we consistently thank God for the work that he has done in getting the gospel to you Colossians. But he's confident that he can praise God that the gospel has reached them because he sees at least, or he's heard at least three things of them. So look at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So he's heard of their faith in Christ, that they have submitted to Christ as Lord, as their master, as the one they, they submit their entire lives to, and also they're submitting to Christ as Savior, trusting that he and he alone can take away their sin. So he's confident that they are, in fact, following Christ. And he's grateful for that, but he's confident because he sees and he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the second thing is that he's heard of their love for all the saints. So they have faith, but they also have love for one another. It's not just them loving themselves. We read in John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Paul, writing to these Colossians, says, Hey, we're grateful that the Lord has brought you to himself, and we're confident that that is the case, because we've heard of your faith, and we've heard of your love for one another. And our King, King Jesus, has told us that we know that you are disciples by the love that you have for one another. Paul knows that they're genuine disciples because they have genuine love for each other, for other Christians. Christians love what God loves and who God loves. They love what God loves and who God loves. But the third thing, look at verse 5. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So he's recognized their faith. He's recognized their love for others. He's also recognized the hope that they have that's been laid up for them in heaven. One commentator on this pointed out that hope for non-Christians means being optimistic about something not certain. Being optimistic about something not certain. He said hope for Christians means waiting for something utterly certain. Hope for non-Christians is being optimistic about something not certain. But hope for Christians means waiting for something utterly certain. So Paul sees that. He's, he's heard of that from Epaphras about these and by fixing their eyes on this inheritance, this hope that they have in Christ, by fixing their eyes on their eternity with him, they're freed up to love one another better. Does that make sense? Because they're, they're fixing their, their eyes, because they're so focused on the eternal with Christ, it doesn't mean don't be focused on things here. We want to be faithful here. But because they're saying, this is not my home, I'm eventually going to be in, with Christ for all eternity. Because they can focus on that, or because they do focus on that, they're able to be freed up to not be tied down by some of the cares of the world. When a brother needs something that's, that's, that's costly for them, they can say, I will joyfully serve you in that way because this isn't my home. I'm fixing my eyes on my eternal inheritance with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that freed them up to love one another more effectively. 
Paul's grateful that they're bearing fruit. But notice the ingredients of bearing fruit. The ingredients that are laid out there. Look at the second half of verse 5. It is of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And so we see that they heard the truth. They heard the gospel, the good news that Jesus can take away all of their sin, can pay for all of their debt, and provide them with a holiness and a righteousness needed to be right with God. They've heard that good news, and they've understood it. The last phrase there in verse 6, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. They didn't just hear the gospel, they understood the gospel. Now, the question is, what about those who have heard and have understood the gospel, and yet there's not any change? What about those who seem to understand the gospel, they've heard it, they, they can recite it, but there really is no change in them? Well, I'd submit to you at least one of two things is a reality in that person's life. Either one, they don't yet truly understand. So like a, like a parrot who can repeat phrases and words, but doesn't actually understand those phrases and words. Sometimes we come across people who can repeat things and say things, but they don't really understand the things that they're talking about, the things that they, they're saying. Say if somebody claims to understand the gospel and, can, and knows the gospel, but there's no real change, then perhaps they just don't truly understand it yet. The second option is that they've just rejected it. And so we've come across people who ha- understand the gospel and they could repeat it and they seem to have a fine understanding of it, but they just reject it. And so it's usually one of those two camps. And so if you run across somebody like that, then, then our obligation is to, one, either help them better understand what the gospel is. That's just part of discipleship. It's helping each other better understand and growing in our understanding of the gospel. Or, and or, continue to pray for them that the Lord would grant them understanding that leads to repentance. Now, Epaphras faithfully did these things. He faithfully proclaimed the gospel, and he faithfully helped others understand. Paul calls him a faithful minister in verse 8. And when we see those two things happening, where truth, where God's word, where the gospel is being faithfully proclaimed, and there's those who are helping one another understand that truth that's being proclaimed. When those two things are taking place, faithful proclamation and faithful teaching to help understand, that's when we see fruit. So we see fruit take place. And so there was fruit in Colossae. Epaphras had reported it to Paul. We see that in verse 8. And Paul was grateful that the gospel had reached the Colossians. And friends, the gospel goes forth when it's proclaimed and understood when it's heard, and when it's understood, as Paul says. And when that happens, and wherever that happens, we rejoice in it. Like, when we, when we hear about the church down the road that's seeing much fruit, we rejoice in that, because we're on the same team. We're part of the same family. When we hear about other churches overseas who are being persecuted, we want to pray for them, because they're part of our family. We're on the same team. We want their well-being. And so when the gospel goes forward, we rejoice in it. So church, we, we should be a church 
that faithfully prays for other Christians, even those that aren't among us this morning. That faithfully prays for other churches. We try to do that each week, but we only list a couple churches. It'd be great if, if you who know of other churches throughout your week would continue to be praying for them, that they would remain faithful to the word, that as they are faithful, they would bear much fruit, and that Christ would be glorified as they make disciples. Then also, church, we should be a, a people who not only share the truth with one another, but also help one another understand it. Paul says there was fruit when they had heard and understood the word of truth. Let's be a church, let's be a family that shares the truth with one another, even at the risk of offending each other. Love covers a multitude of sins. But let's share the truth with one another in love and also help each other understand that truth. Both things are important. But not only is Paul thankful for the Colossians' faith, but he also wants to see that faith have some legs. He wants to see that faith in action. He wants to see that faith grow in maturity, which leads us to the final six verses there, gospel growth, in verses 9 through 14. <coughs> Excuse me. So Paul is, is grateful that the gospel has reached the Colossians. We've mentioned this several times now, but now he wants to see it grow in them. And so look, I'm, I'm grateful that farmers plant seeds. I am. That's why we have food in our pantry. Grateful that farmers plant seeds. But the seed reaching the ground isn't sufficient to provide the food that we live on. We also need that seed to take root and grow. If it doesn't take root and grow, then we're all in a, in a hot mess. We don't have food. So we want the, the seeds, to, the gospel seeds, to go out far and wide and to take root, but we also want to see growth. And Paul says that they have not ceased praying for the Colossians. He's praying that they would be filled with at least three things. Look at verse 9. He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the way that we see growth is by growing in knowledge, that we would know the truth, wisdom, that we would apply the truth, and understanding, that we would understand the truth. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. When all three are active in our lives, that's when we begin to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him, in verse 10. So, the natural question is how can we tell if somebody is growing in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. That's great, Rob. We need to grow in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. How can we tell if there is growth? Because if you plant seeds, if a farm plants seeds, you can tell if there's growth a couple months in. You start to see little, little green plants coming out of the ground. And by July, the, the corn stalks are six, seven feet tall. You can see that growth. How can we see growth in one another? How can we tell if we're walking in wisdom, in knowledge, and in understanding. Well, Paul lists at least four things for us in verses 10 through 12. Look there. So in the second half of verse 10, we see that uh, those who are growing in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, that they're bearing fruit in every good work. So in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that you will know them, you will recognize his people by their fruits by the things that they do, by their actions. Fruit is simply a, a nice way of saying obedience to God. We'll, we'll recognize 
people who are following Christ by their actions, by the things that they do. Now, just to clarify, our obedience doesn't save us. We can't earn our salvation. All of us fall short of the glory of God. We fall far shorter than what we even realize. However, obedience does provide evidence that we are, in fact, a new creation trying to follow after a new master. Galatians 5 talks about this fruit and describes it as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so our actions should be reflective of those nine fruit of the Spirit, those nine characteristics of the fruit. Second, so not only um, can we tell that there's growth happening if we're bearing fruit, but second is if you continue to look at verse 10, if we are increasing in knowledge of God. So we, we take time to learn about the things that we love. I have shared with you at least once now that I've been really interested in fishing recently. And it's probably embarrassing the amount of time I've spent on YouTube just watching other people fish and teaching me how to fish certain lures of which I have, have yet to be any good at. But it, I, I enjoy it, and so I take time to learn about it because I, I really like that thing. If, if Christ is our passion, if Christ is our treasure, we're going to take time to learn about him, to grow in knowledge of him. We do this with all kinds of things, whether it's hobbies like, like fishing or sports teams or people or relationships that we have or jobs. And so if we love God, we will increase in our knowledge of him because it's our joy to know him. So to grow in these things, to be able to see if there is growth in somebody, we see them bearing fruit, we see them growing in their knowledge of God. And the third thing is that we see them growing in dependence on God's strength. Look at verse 11. These, these people are being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So they're not being strengthened in their own might, they're being strengthened according to his glorious might. They're increasingly dependent on God, not themselves. And as they are strengthened, others are also strengthened. When we travel, we try to find a, a unique restaurant or something like that to go to. And the way that we end up deciding what we're going to go to is we look at reviews online. Look at Google reviews or TripAdvisor or Yelp, whatever your favorite one is. But the confidence that others have in that place impacts the confidence that we have in that place. And so if it's consistent bad reviews, and, and we don't have a lot of confidence, so we're going to have a good time there. But if it's consistent good reviews, then that increases our confidence that this would be a good restaurant to go check out. In the same way, when you grow in your confidence in the Lord, when you are strengthened by Him, others see that, and they too are strengthened. This is why it's important to walk as a body, as a church, because we get to see one another go through really difficult times, go through trials, and see how we walk through it. And as those who are going through difficult times, when we walk through it and remain faithful to the Lord, despite all of the pain, despite all of the trials, we remain faithful, then others see that. And they begin to realize Christ is enough. He is sufficient to get us through anything, including painful valleys. And so we see those who are bearing fruit or excuse me, those who are, are growing in the gospel, they bear fruit, they increase in knowledge of God, 
They are growing more dependent on God's strength rather than their own. And the fourth thing is that they grow in giving thanks to the Father. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. Now, for what specifically? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So we thank him for qualifying us. This, today is the final day of the memorial tournament. So for those who know golf, today is the, the fourth and final day of the memorial tournament here in, in Dublin. And the memorial tournament started off with 120 golfers. And then by the end of the second day, at the end of Friday, there's a cut. And about half of them are cut because they have an insufficient score. They didn't qualify to make it into the second half of the memorial. Now, that word to qualify in the Greek could also mean to make sufficient. And so our sin, friends, renders us insufficient or disqualified or unqualified to be in the presence of God for all eternity. Renders us insufficient. We've missed the cut. And we've missed it by a lot. But, in Christ, that insufficient score is removed. But, if you know, if you understand the gospel, and if you understand the memorial tournament, it's not just that an insufficient score is to be removed. We then need a sufficient score to be given to us. And in Christ, not only has our insufficiency been removed, our sin has been removed, our rebellion against God, the, the debt against us has been removed, but also... Jesus' perfect righteousness, his perfect score, has been given to us freely. And so we are made sufficient. We are made perfect in Christ, not in ourselves. Christ has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. But then the other thing in, in verse 13 that we thank God for is for delivering us. You see that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son. That word deliver can mean rescue. So he has rescued us from the enslavement of the domain of darkness and delivered us to the freedom that is found in Christ. He's taken us out of the, this dark kingdom and placed us into the righteous and, and bright kingdom of the sun. The kingdom that we have no business being in. But in his kindness and in his love for you, he has sent his son so that all who repent and believe on Christ can be brought from that kingdom of darkness to that kingdom of light, can be qualified to be citizens in that kingdom. We just sang, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And in the third chorus, we, we sang these beautiful words. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free, yet not I but through Christ in me. The domain of darkness is the domain of enslavement. And Christ has delivered us from that to freedom in his kingdom through him. Then also in, in verse 14, we thank God not only for him qualifying us, for him delivering us, but also for him redeeming us. We see that the Son is the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Christ paid the debt of his people. There is no outstanding balance. Our sin has been forgiven. If 
you have called on Christ to remove that sin. If you're here this morning and you have not yet called on Christ, you're not yet submitting to Christ as your Lord, as your Master, and as your Savior, the one who can make you right with God, then this does not apply to you. You have not yet been redeemed. You are still in the domain of darkness. I would encourage you to call on Christ. And if you have questions about what that looks like, that's understandable. Please feel free to come up afterward, ask me, ask somebody around you. That is a conversation that we would love to have with you. Our lives are marked by thanksgiving because God has qualified, delivered, and redeemed us. So gospel growth requires that we grow in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And practically speaking, so what does that look like? Practically speaking, that looks like bearing fruit. So growing in obedience. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Depending on God's strength, not your own. And being marked by gratitude to God for salvation. So if you're a Christian in the the room, my question to you is, is that you? Is that you? Would others describe you as someone who is growing in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding? Could it be said of you, someone would be watching your life, if your walls could speak, would they say that you are bearing fruit? That you are growing in your knowledge of God? That you are increasingly dependent on God's strength rather than your own? And that you're marked by gratitude to God? Perhaps, this is a moment of vulnerability, but perhaps at lunch today, you could ask a friend, or at some point during the week, you could ask a friend, of those four categories, of those four categories in verses 10 through 12, which one could I grow in most right now? Just assume that you need to grow in all of them. We all do, right? None of us is nailing it in any of these categories. And that's okay. But we want to be growing in each of these categories. So just ask a trusted friend over lunch sometime, of these four categories, which one could I grow in the most right now? And if you're not a Christian here, you probably run into professing Christians who are not bearing fruit, who are not increasing in their knowledge of God, who are not dependent on God, but in fact are quite self-righteous, and who are not marked by gratitude to God for salvation, but rather they seem to be more uh, grateful to themselves for being smart enough to attain the salvation and to receive it. So look, I'm sorry for the confusing message that we Christians send at times, but those who are walking faithfully with Christ are growing in these things. Don't let someone who is refusing to submit themselves to these things Paint your picture of what a faithful Christian looks like. One commentary said that true Christianity does not graduate from the gospel of grace. Rather, it moves more deeply into it over time. True Christianity doesn't graduate from that gospel of grace. We just move more deeply into it over time. The gospel is worth rejoicing in, but it's also worth growing in. So friends, let's, let's treat one another. If you're a Christian in this room, let's treat one another as family. The gospel makes us family. Let's be invested in one another. Take time out of your week. Commit time out of your week or out of your month to help each other grow in these things. Let's pray for the gospel to go forward. And let's rejoice when we hear that it has. Whether that be within us here, people here being converted or people here growing in their walk with Christ, or our community. So we see that in other areas of the community, other churches around the world. Let's pray for those things. Let's rejoice when they do happen. 
And let's strive to see gospel growth in our lives and the lives of others. Let, let's help each other grow in bearing fruit. Let's help each other grow in the knowledge of God. Let's help each other understand some of those things. Let's grow more dependent on God and grow in our gratitude to God. Carve out time for this. So if you are entrusting yourself to Christ to bring you into his family, then as family, we care for one another. We're invested in one another. And if you haven't yet received Christ, consider doing that today. Trust him alone to remove your sin. Trust him alone to qualify you, to make you, to put you in a position of qualification before God. You cannot do that on your own. The gospel is worth rejoicing in and growing in. But we need one another for each of these things. Let's rejoice in the gospel, reaching each other, and let's also invest time so that the gospel would grow in each of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that it continues to bear fruit and increase. That it does that, as this passage has said, not only around the world, but also bears fruit and increases in one another. Lord, we pray that we would be a people who rejoice in the gospel and who grow in it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.